you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. up everybody this is episode 70 of the lone gunman podcast and first let me apologize for the delay in putting the show out um i have been very nasally i've had some sinus problems recently well with allergies and summer colds and air conditioners it's all mixed together it's not a good combination for my dulcet tones here i mean uh i did record a show earlier last weekend and I listened back to it and I was like man I cannot put this out there I sound like Mickey Mouse trying to do a show so I held it back until my got my pipes back a little bit I'm sure some of you will notice that I'm still sounding a little nasally Um, but it trust me it sounds a hell of a lot better than it did at the beginning of the week Uh, it was horrible it was horrible but anyway your boy is back this is 70 and we're going to be talking today about Oswald of Mexico. Now, you might be saying, Rob, are you losing your mind? You already did a show about Oswald of Mexico. Well, no, no I'm not losing my mind at all. Um, today, we're going to be looking at it from the Russian perspective. What the KGB had to say about Oswald visiting their embassy. We're going to hear directly from their embassy workers in Mexico City in September of 1963 about their encounter with Lee Harvey Oswald in person and also from the KGB, what their thoughts on the visit were and what it meant and uh, why it was kind of covered up on their end 
And we'll take a look about what it means. Why our government would cover it up. Now, we know that the CIA was up to some funny business down there in Mexico City. When it comes to Oswald in Mexico City. Uh, Because we have the pictures of Oswald that aren't Oswald. And we have the voice recordings of Oswald that weren't Oswald. So you may think to yourself, now why would the CIA do this? I mean, was it incompetence? Was it that much of an incompetence that they took pictures of the wrong person and, and labeled it wrong? Or that they were fooled by, you know... You know, the wrong Oswald on the on the voice recordings. Because, you know, the CIA had their telephones tapped. Probably probably their probably bugs in the embassy. They were definitely under surveillance by cameras of people going in and out. Um so we know we had them under surveillance pretty good. And I'm sure the Russian embassy had surveillance as well on visitors to their embassy. So, why haven't we seen any pictures of our patsy guy, Lee Harvey Oswald, in Mexico City at the embassies that he was alleged to have visited? Now, we, you know, the, the Americans, they couldn't say just flat out, well, no, Oswald was never here. He never visited the Cuban embassy. He never visited the Russian embassy. You know, they, they couldn't say that because the Cubans and the Russians admitted that he did visit. Okay. And so they couldn't just deny it, you know, totally. So why do we have the wrong pictures and the wrong voice recordings? You know, and a lot of people attribute that to impersonators. Now, why would you ask, okay, if Oswald is actually in Mexico City, why would they need to impersonate him? Have somebody use his name and go into the Cuban, Cuban consulate and the Russian consulate and pretend to be him well you know I've always thought that the original plan for you know how the assassination would have shook out and who it actually got blamed on was the original plan I believe was going to be Oswald but it was going to be he was going to have ties to Russia and Cuba he was going to have communist sympathy and they were going to try to somehow pin this back on Cuba specifically. And if that didn't work, Russia, you know, and the communism as a whole. But somebody somewhere way smarter than anybody else decided that this was a bad idea. Because this literally would have started World War Three. Because people would have been clamoring in the streets for retaliation for those damn communists killing our president. And nothing short of a nuclear war would do. They would have wanted complete and total retaliation and annihilation. I mean, you you just don't come over here and kill our president in the streets and get away with it. You know, that's not how it works. So, but somebody somewhere thought that that was a very bad idea. <laughs> and I commend them for it because it probably was a very bad idea at the time. So... The switch was then made for Oswald to look like a lone nut. And hence, 
you know, kind of cut off any ties that he may have been having to the Russians or the Cubans or anything of that nature and try to put the kibosh on it and make him look like a lone nut. Okay. This is why he had to die very soon after captured. Um, or else the truth might have eventually came out. Now, the reason this is important is because I had never heard this version of events before. And looking at Oswald in Mexico, it's a spider web. It's it's a sand trap. It's 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 very hard. You're never ever going to pin down what the hell happened down there because it's been obfuscated with uh, false facts and you know cover-ups and lies. And finally, well, not finally. I mean, the, it, this book's been out for 22 years, but uh, not too many people know about it over here. It was originally written in Russian. So, you know, it doesn't get much play. It doesn't get much play because nobody knows what to make of it. I mean, it, yeah, it's coming from a, a, a KGB guy. Now, the book I'm referring to is called uh, Passport to Assassination, the never-before-told story of Lee Harvey Oswald by the KGB colonel who knew him. Okay? I mean, this is craziness here. But this version of events that that I'm about to tell you about and his visit there, you know, has has never been heard. Nobody's ever heard this story except people that have read this book because it doesn't get much shine. I mean, it's it's totally not looked at by researchers. It's totally discounted from the history books. It's, you know, and I don't know any Russian uh, researchers, you know, who would who would throw down on this. So. I'm going to tell you about it today. I, I came across this book at a used bookstore. And uh, apparently it didn't sell too well back in the day because the copy I got is pristine for being a 22-year-old book. I mean, it's a beautifully bound, hardcover, uh, beautiful dust jacket on here book. It's in mint condition, and I got it for seven ninety-five. And it was originally sold for twenty two fifty in the U.S., and that's twenty two years ago. Okay. And now it was translated from Russian to English by uh, Todd Bludo, and I just want to translate this little incident. Um. From the Russian embassy to you, straight from the horse's mouth. You know, I could paraphrase this this book for you, but I think it's, it's better if I just read you. And I hate reading on, on here, but uh, I'd rather you hear it straight from the horse's mouth because I don't want to leave out any uh, any details or uh, anything like that. Now. On September 27, 1963, the buzzard of the embassy rang. Uh, the visitor, an American, is invited to come in and wait here. Valery Kostikov is called 
Uh, there's someone outside. He speaks Russian. Says he's American, but wants to speak to one of the consular officers. Valerie says, "I'll be out in a minute. Let him wait." Uh, so he goes out and talks to this guy, and uh, the guy talks to him in English. And Oswald says, "I would like to speak with one of the Soviet consular officers," emphasizing the word Soviet. Obviously doubting Valerie's nationality. Indeed, Kostikov looked more Latin American or Arabic than Russian. Amused by the stranger's request, he pulled out his diplomatic ID and showed it to the visitor. He then invited him into the office. Okay, so Oswald's first meeting is with Kostikov. He's brought in. He's sat down. Oswald tells him why he's there, that he that he wants to get a visa to return to the, to the USSR, that he has a Russian wife, and da-da-da-da-da. Okay, well, Kostikov doesn't want to be bothered with this. It's not really his, uh, you know, line of deal. So he calls Oleg Nechaprenko, who actually wrote this book, and tells him to basically get over here. He says, listen, some gringos here, Kostikov said at the other end of the, of the line, he's asking for a visa to the Soviet Union. Uh, apparently he lived there, married one of our girls. They live in the States. The FBI is harassing them. Come over here and get to the bottom of this. It seems to me more in your line of work. I'm in a hurry. Oleg says, okay, I'll be right over. Okay, an American in my field. This could be interesting. Okay, so he makes his way over there. And, uh, you know, these guys, he says, our jobs in the consulate were merely a cover. In fact, all three of us work for KGB Foreign Intelligence and belong to various subdivisions of Moscow Center. Okay. Now, he's telling y'all, they're all KGB intelligence agents there at this embassy. Um, as a rule, we would help each other out and transfer our visitors to the one among us who might have the most interest in him, according to their various subdivisions of intelligence. Okay, so he's saying, okay, I approached the small building that housed the consular division. I saw a stranger Apparently, 25 to 27, standing on the steps and leaning against the doorpost. He appeared to be European or American. He was of medium height, long face, narrow chin, high forehead, and uh, was tending toward baldness. I would have called him a brunette. The first impression I had of this stranger was his aloofness. He seemed to be looking beyond me, absorbed in his thoughts, and did not even react as I approached him. He was clad in a light jacket, sports shirt, unbuttoned collar, and either gray or brown slacks that were wrinkled. I greeted the stranger with a nod, and he responded in kind. Is this the gringo you're talking about, I asked Valerie. Valerie nodded. Yes, he keeps saying the FBI is after him and that he lived for a while in the Soviet Union. Blah, 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 blah. I gotta go. Here you go. Have fun. Okay. Now... He says, the visitor, who, who appeared to be in a state of physical and mental exhaustion, accepted my offer to sit down. But he suddenly became more focused as he explained to me the reason for his visit. <clears throat> he repeated everything he'd already told Valerie. And over the course of our conversation, the visitor's mood changed from discomfort to agitation, creating the impression of a high-strung, neurotic individual. In order to give him a chance to calm down, I paused in my questioning and looked over his documents. Everything seemed to be in order. Um, regarding his American passport, other than other documents testified to his stay in, in the Soviet Union. One of them was a marriage certificate to Marina Prusakova, among the others, 
uh, was a letter to the Soviet embassy in Washington that has something to do with travel for his family to the USSR. And it seems the embassy's refusal to grant his request. Seeing that Oswald had cooled off a bit, I renewed our conversation. Now, let me interject here that during, I mean, as far back as I think January of 1963, Marina had started writing to the Russian embassy in Washington wanting uh, permission to be to go back to Russia. She sent several letters, and in probably the spring, after the whole General Walker incident in the spring, it, it, it changed into just her from just, from being just her seeking to go back to Russia to actually including her whole family, including her husband Lee Oswald. Um, and repeatedly, repeatedly, her requests were denied. Um, when I asked him to provide specific information about the FBI's following him, he replied that it all began after his return from the USSR, where he had gone in as a Marxist sympathizer. Uh, when the couple returned to the United States, both were interrogated. His wife was still being questioned in his absence, and he, and he claimed the FBI had even been in contact with his friends. When I then asked him the reason for his return to the United States, Oswald fidgeted, fidgeted, changed the subject, and avoided answering the question. I realized he did not want to state that reason, which put me on guard. From the very outset of our conversations, I had no doubt that Oswald had been within the sights of my colleagues while in the USSR, but the thought of the KGBs having any operational connection to him quickly disappeared. From my first impressions of him, it was clear he was not suitable agent material. Not suitable agent material. Oswald maintained that as a result of the FBI's activities, he could not find a good job and that the situation at home had become intolerable. Even though I had seen the letter to our embassy in the United States, I nonetheless asked him if he had appealed to the Soviet embassy in Washington. Oswald said that he had already sent a letter there and had been turned down. He later mentioned his fear that the FBI would arrest him for even trying to contact the Washington embassy. So as not to give the FBI additional cause to seize him, he decided to come down to Mexico to follow through on his plan. Moreover, in the event that he should be allowed to return to the Soviet Union, he wanted to travel to Cuba first. In Mexico, he could obtain visas to both countries at the same time. The more I learned about Oswald and the more I observed him uh, during the course of our conversation, the less I was interested in him. I silently cursed Valerie for transferring him to me and decided it was time to bring this meeting to a close. I had more important items on my agenda. I explained to Oswald that in accordance with our rules, all matters dealing with travel to the USSR were handled by our embassies or consulates in the country in which a person lived. As far as this case was concerned, we can make an exception and give him the necessary papers to fill out, which we would then send on to Moscow, but the answer would still be sent to his permanent address in the United States, and it would take, at the very least... Four months to get an answer. Oswald listened intently to my explanation, but it was clear from his gestures and the expression on his face that he was disappointed and growing increasingly annoyed. When I had finished speaking, he slowly leaned forward and barely able to restrain himself, practically shouted in my face, This won't do for me. This is not my case. For me, it's all going to end in tragedy. I shrugged my shoulders and stood up signaling the end of our meeting. Oswald's hands shook as he put the documents back into his jacket. I let Oswald through the reception area and showed him the way out of the compound. He departed. 
obviously dissatisfied with the results of our talk. He appeared to be extremely agitated. This was how Oswald's first visit to our embassy in Mexico ended. Now, there was two visits. That was the first one. Okay, so we have Oswald explaining why he wants his visas. Explaining why, you know, that the FBI is uh, making his life intolerable in Russia. Or, I mean, in America. Because they keep harassing him and harassing his wife. And they won't leave him alone. And he can't hold a job because of them. And uh, so on and so forth. But uh, he apparently does not like what he hears there. And on his English or Russian uh, speaking ability. Nechaprenko notes here that our meeting had been conducted primarily in Russian. But Oswald, possibly from the strain of being overly excited, often experienced difficulties in finding the proper Russian word and would switch to English. His pronunciation was bad, and he really mangled the grammar. But overall, overall, he was able to express his thoughts in our language. Not once during our conversation did he show any interest in showing my name or in knowing my name or who I was. Uh, this struck me as odd because American visitors usually wanted to know with whom they were dealing with. I suspected the reason for this was that Oswald was so consumed by his own problems that he couldn't care less which Soviet representative listened to him. This suited me just fine. So, that was the first visit. Now, nothing, you know, nothing too crazy there, right? Well, the next day, um, Oswald came back. And, uh, this meeting went really really badly and i'll just i'll just give you there now i'm going to be switching from perspectives here because these the basically these three guys okay oleg uh valerie and pavel were were all either in the room or coming in and out of the room at different times and saw different things so it they kind of combined all this from different perspectives to create one narrative here and i'll 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 try to try to uh relate that to you accordingly um Pavel was the first to show up at the embassy Saturday morning. Uh, they had planned on uh, having a volleyball game at about 10 o'clock. Um, the sentry knocked on the door and said we had a visitor, not Mexican in appearance, who asked to speak to the consul. The sentry explained to the visitor, though the embassy gate, that today was not a work day and refused to let him enter. But the man had demanded it to be seen. Okay, so shortly, uh, Pavel ordered the sentry to bring the visitor to the office. Shortly, the sentry opened the door and the stranger entered. Yatskov recalls his immediate perception of the stranger. A thin subject of medium height and nondescript appearance, aged 25 to 27, appeared in the doorway. He was carelessly dressed in a gray suit. His pale features and the extremely agitated look on his face were especially noticeable. I told him to take a seat at the attached desk and I sat down at my own. The visitor, without waiting for any questions, spoke to me in English. My limited knowledge of English nonetheless allowed me to understand that my guest was American, a communist, pro-Cuban, and he was asking for a visa to Cuba and the USSR. I was also able to discern that someone was persecuting him and that he feared for his life. Okay. While relating his story, the foreigner fidgeted in his chair, his hands trembled, and though he didn't know what to do with them, 
the conversation was strained due to the language difficulties, and then the door opened again, and Valerie, obviously looking forward to the upcoming volleyball game, stood smiling in the doorway. I was happy to see him since I knew Valerie spoke English. Now here's where Valerie picks up the story. I arrived at about 9.30. I flung the door open to the first office where I saw Pavel sitting at his desk, and at the attached desk to the right, his back to the window, was the American who visited us the previous day. He was disheveled, rumpled, and unshaven. He had the look of someone who was hounded, and he was much more anxious than the day before. I greeted him, and he nodded in response. He turned to me, Pavel turned to me and said, Listen, help me out. I don't fully understand what it is he wants. Without engaging Oswald, uh, it was he. I explained to Pavel that the visitor had been here the previous day, that I had spoken with him, that he requested a visa for immediate return to the Soviet Union, uh, where he had already lived, when he, where he had married a Russian woman, and as a result, the U.S. authorities were victimizing him, and the FBI was on his trail. Therefore, I turned him over to Oleg, who spent time explaining everything to him. Valerie continues, At this point, Oswald, on his own initiative, turned to me and quickly began to retell his story that he'd been discharged from the U.S. Army a few years before, traveled to the Soviet Union as a tourist, where he had remained for political reasons and had lived for a while in Belarusia, where he married a Russian and returned to the United States. He even dropped some hints that he supposedly carried out a secret mission while in Moscow. He announced that he was a communist and member of an organization that had defended Cuba. Pavel interrupted his monologue and said since he had been in the Soviet Union, lived there, then he could probably explain himself in Russian and looked at him disapprovingly. Without answering, Oswald switched over to broken Russian, in which the rest of the conversation was conducted except in a few instances where Oswald experienced difficulty in expressing thoughts in Russian and inserted English words. While telling a story, Oswald again, as the day before, uh, tried to support it by showing various documents, which I would have trouble listing now, but as far as I can remember, included some that had been issued in the Soviet Union. Looking over these documents, I took his American passport and asked him how he had come by the rather, rather strange-sounding name, uh, Chinese name of Lee. Oswald conti- uh, answered that it was a fairly common name in America. Continuing the conversation, Oswald repeated his desire to quickly obtain a visa to the USSR. Da, 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 da. He lost his job because the FBI had been around his place of employment asking questions. In recounting all this, he continually expressed concern for his life. In his words, he dreamed of returning to his former job in the Soviet Union and living there quietly with his family. He spoke with noticeable warmth about his wife and child. Throughout his story, Oswald was extremely agitated and clearly nervous, especially when he mentioned the FBI. But then he suddenly became hysterical, began to cry, and through his tears cried, I am afraid they'll kill me and let me in. Repeating over and over, he was being persecuted, and then he was being followed. Even here in Mexico, he was being followed. He stuck his right hand in the left pocket of his jacket, and he pulls out a revolver, saying, See, this is what I must now carry to protect my life, and placed the gun on the desk where we were sitting opposite one another. So we have Oswald here, clearly about to lose his shit, and pulling a gun out in the Soviet embassy in Mexico City. I was dumbfounded and looked at Pavel, who had turned pale, but then quickly said to me, Here, give me that piece. I took the revolver from the table and handed it to Pavel. Oswald, sobbing, wiped away his tears. He did not respond to my movements. 
Pavel, who could grab the revolver, opened the chamber, shook the bullets into his hand, and put them in the desk drawer. He then handed the revolver to me, and I put it back on the desk. Oswald continued to cry, then pulled himself together and seemed indifferent to what we had done with his weapon. Pavel poured Oswald a glass of water and handed it to him. Oswald took a sip and placed the glass in front of him. At this moment, Oleg literally flew into the room with his bag and stopped in his tracks when he saw all of us sitting there. Uh, they were already late for the volleyball game. Now here Pavel Yatskov picks up this story. When I loaded the revolver, it had a short barrel, but it was of impressive size with a wooden handle. I think it was a Smith & Wesson, though I don't recall now if the chamber held five or six bullets. Oswald began to droop. He most, li- most likely the peak of his tension had passed, but his eyes were wet with tears, and his hands visibly shook. Okay. Now... I began to console him, saying that it might all seem terrible to him, since the reason for his being victimized was not immediately evident. Valery repeated a few of my sentences in English. Regarding his visa to the Soviet Union, we explained our rules once again, but in view of this condition, I offered him the necessary forms to be filled out. If he thought this was acceptable, we would send them on to Moscow. Uh, But it was absolutely out of the question that we would issue a visa to him at that very moment. It was not going to happen. In response to his persistent request that we recommend that Cubans give him a visa as an alternate to or alternative to obtaining our visa, we told him that Cuba was a sovereign nation and decided visa questions for itself. Oswald had explained his desire to travel to Cuba earlier in the conversation, saying he wanted to help the Cubans, quote, build a new life, end quote. He then discussed his correspondence with the Soviet embassy in the United States, in which he sought to return to the USSR. He spoke of employees of that consulate as apathetic bureaucrats who looked at his report officially and simply did not want to understand him as a person. Oswald gradually calmed down, evidently after having understood and reconciled himself to the fact that he was not about to get a quick visa. He did not take the forms we offered him. Uh, his state of agitation had now been replaced by depression. He looked disappointed and frustrated. Valerie and I exchanged glances and let it be known the subject of this conversation had been exhausted and it was time to go. I rose from the table. Oswald got up from the chair and simultaneously grabbed a revolver and stuck it somewhere under his jacket, either in his pocket or belt. Uh, turning to Valerie, he once again said something about being followed, so I bent down to get the bullets from the desk drawer. I handed them back to Oswald, who dropped them in his pocket. We said goodbye with a nod of our heads. Valerie stood, calmly opened the door, uh, and they quickly led Oswald out. That was the last time they saw him. That day... Um, now, this whole incident was so very odd to them that instead of going to their volleyball game, they immediately filed a report back to Moscow Center, KGB headquarters, filed a report about what had just happened, this strange man and his name, and, and what had happened as he came in there into their office uh, on both days and demanded and what he wanted. And, but, you know, they basically sent a report back to Moscow, you know, detailing what had just happened, which was served to cover their ass later. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Now, later on, <clears throat> I believe in the spring of 1992, uh, this guy met with this guy, uh, Yura, who actually worked in the KGB office in uh in Moscow 
And this guy, Yura, was in charge of handling the inquiry of the Oswalds for returning to Russia. And he says, the first thing uh, to do was to understand the reasons for Prusikova's request and then figure out which department should be informed. I found background information in the archives. The Prusikova file, like most exit files, was thin. It consisted of the usual special investigative material, that is, letters, place of birth, employers, schools, and so on. As I remember, it was started on her husband, and then her paper, paperwork was included. My next step was to ask Leningrad KGB to utilize the local Ovir office to ascertain whether Marina's relatives were willing to let the Oswald stay with them. Clarification of this request was standard in connection with an immigration request. The information about the husband chronicled his stay in Minsk, so I also informed the Belarusian KGB of Marina's request. I don't remember how much time elapsed before I got a reply from Leningrad. Local authorities learned that her stepfather had no interest in taking them in. The gathered data indicated that their relationship was strained. Uh, he characterized Marina as a woman of loose morals. In his words, her main goal was to marry a foreigner and leave the country with him. Uh, Yura continued, Intelligence had no interest in Oswald and his wife, and if there had been any, it would have come through my department. All the information I'd gathered pointed to the inadvisability of allowing the Oswalds to return in the current year. I presented a draft to Pavel Alexandrovich, who edited it slightly and signed it rather quickly. All that was left for me to do was send it to the, the document to the Consular Division of the Ministry of Foreign Ministry of Foreign Affairs, which I did. Then we received a reply from the chairman of the Belarusian KGB granting permission. I don't remember any weighty uh, operational arguments being advanced in this letter. It's entirely possible that Minsk was already informed the answer was no. It was too late to stop the process. If the letter had come sooner, it might have influenced the decision. When I was young, I thought it strange that if KGB Center showed no interest, well, then why should a Republic branch division create a fuss? Who needs the extra headache? Now, after Kennedy's assassination, I learned the FBI, after searching Oswald's apartment, found the official Soviet rejection of his immigration request. Imagine what the reaction would have been if permission had been granted and it coincided with the assassination. It would have been taken as firm evidence of Soviet involvement, offering to shield the assassin after he completed his mission. It would be difficult to, to, to uh, imagine a better propagandic gift for certain groups. But this is speculation after the fact, and I, after I sent my conclusion in regard to Prusikova, I forgot all about it. I was preparing to leave on assignment to the United States. So, basically what he's saying um, is, you know, that, 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 her, that her request was refused on October 7th. Now, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs had not yet received Lee Harvey Oswald's petition, and that report is dated November 16th, 1963. Okay. Now, what they did... Um, was send, of course, that report back after Oswald had visited the embassy. And... He says here... Thus, only while working on this book, almost 30 years later after the fact, did I see for myself how far our little life preserver, the report they sent, the information we had forwarded to Moscow about Oswald's visit to our embassy in Mexico City had floated, and what role it had played at the time. A former co-worker, retired Colonel Vitaly uh, Jerusimov, vice counsel of the Soviet embassy, was stationed in Washington, uh, Residentura, and relates the following. 
In 63-64, I was assigned to Marina Oswald's case. I began to correspond with the petitioner. Although these letters were signed by the consul, I was responsible. She filled out all the necessary consular questionnaires, and I was prepared to forward them to the consular division in Moscow when Consul Reznichenko suggested I find out why she wanted to return. This request needed the embassy's approval and the preparation of the inquiry of Ministry of Foreign Affairs. This procedure was followed where, uh, when there were further questions for the petitioner. As far as I remember, she never replied to this letter. I can't venture a guess as to whether we sent her a declaration with all the other documents to Moscow. In corresponding with Prusikova, we paid no attention to her husband. We had no information on Oswald prior to the assassination. If such material had been sent from Moscow Center, it would have come to me in my cover job. We were also very surprised by Prusikova's request since there are only a handful of people like her living in the United States. <laughs> a handful of people like her. Okay. So, just to summarize here, you know, this, this, this little visit by Oswald to the embassy, and, you know, he's very agitated and upset. He's he's crying, he's shaking, he's pulling a gun out, he's, you know, acting crazy, you know, basically, and uh, desperate, almost, seemingly, and uh, now the question has to become, okay, was this really Oswald, you know, our Patsy guy, was this really Oswald that went to this embassy, or was it just somebody who looked like him? Because according to them... You know, the the broken the whole broken Russian thing and his being, you know, shaking and nervous and crying, this is this is totally out of character. Totally out of character. Um so let's let's visit what they say about uh when they found out about the assassination. Um Oleg Valerie, uh his eyes bulging, flew into the office. Oleg, they just showed the suspect in Kennedy's death on TV. It's Lee Oswald, the gringo who was here in September. I recognize him. He blurted out it in what seemed like one breath. Him? So they dashed out of the consulate towards the embassy. And uh, neither of us had any doubts. It was him, Lee Harvey Oswald, the same man who was in our office two months ago. We could not take our eyes off the television set. When the report ended, we went outside and again exchanged a long, silent glance before exclaiming in unison, Holy shit. We were in a state of shock. (laughs) So, yeah. Apparently, the same guy arrested, okay, in connection in Dallas with the assassination was the same man, according to them, who had came into their office in Mexico City. Same guy. Same exact guy. So, how can we rectify that? You know, if Oswald, the guy we know and love as our Patsy in Dallas, was actually in Mexico City at that embassy demanding, you know, passage because, uh, you know, we know that they had been writing letters to go back. If they were denied, then this would have made Oswald a desperate man. Desperate people do desperate things. 
such as embark on a road trip to Mexico City, several hundred miles away, to, on a whim, try to get to the Russians there and explain his need for entrance into the country and hope that everything he had been doing was enough for them to believe in him and let him back in the country. So, are the reasons he gives for wanting to go back true? That he was being hounded by the FBI, he's being questioned uncontrollably by the FBI, making his life a living hell, um, making life unbearable, intolerable. Was it so bad that he would have to resort to heading to Mexico City to talk to these guys to try to get back to Russia? What was the problem? Why was he so hell-bound and determined to get back to Russia? Did he know there was a plot afoot that could possibly implicate him in everything? But yet he could not leave? There was nothing he could do about it? Or was he simply seeking a way out after the assassination had occurred? Where he could seek asylum in a foreign sympathetic country? Um, Who knows? You know, like, uh, you know, it's, if this was our guy, okay, why is it the CIA is saying that it's not him on the tapes and it's not him in the pictures? You know, I think this was a, a part of what we call the cover-up, okay? Because there's people, I think, that wanted to tie Oswald back to Russia and Cuba. Or if there were real connections between Oswald and Russia and Cuba, such as his, you know, if his FPCC tactics, his, his pro-Castro stance and his pro-communist and pro, you know, wanted to go back to Russia was real. If all this is real... Okay, then it could Oswald could be tied back to Russia and Cuba, and they would have been blamed for the assassination as being behind it. So, and we know from the Warren Commission that they wanted to put the kibosh on any kind of idea floated out there like that, because people would have demanded blood. They would have demanded retaliation, annihilation of any country who had just slayed their president in the streets of Dallas. At the time, hence the need for the lone nut, the guy unincorporated with any other country, any other ideals, any other partners, any other people, just a lone nut is behind this, you know, and somebody very, very smart, very high up decided that that was the best, the best uh, path to go on there. And not have this guy tied back to Russia and Cuba, at least in the eyes of the people. And it, you know, this was their guy, their lone guy. It was him behind it because he was crazy. And that's it. We don't need to look any further. You know, that's it. So, if if this KGB consulate visit can be construed as a real event, at least if 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 they're telling the truth about Oswald's visit to the embassy and the reasons behind it. I mean, from the conspiracy side of things, uh, you know, it doesn't look good because 
I don't know where, I don't know how, you know, you can construe this as some kind of intelligence operation. Unless they were just testing the waters, seeing what, seeing what they, seeing how far they could push things, see what they could get away with um, at the time, and using Oswald to do this. Um, he blames, you know, being hounded by the FBI. You know, we know that it's true that he was pissed at Hosty um, for talking to Marina when he wasn't there. You know, we know that's true. Um, because he confronted Hosty about it and told him to quit coming around, you know, when Marie, when he wasn't there and talking to Marina. So if, if, if all that's true and Oswald is pissed at Hosty and the FBI for hounding him and, uh, not making it easy for him to live in the United States, then that kind of rules out a connection between Oswald and the FBI and being an informant or what have you, uh, on that front. So, you know, it's, I mean, it doesn't support one side or the other as far as him being a, the lone nut assassin. Um, and even in the book, you know, Oleg says, you know, there's no way he can envision this guy being capable of of doing what's attributed to him because he was a nervous wreck in his office. His hands were visibly shaking uh, you know, he was crying uncontrollably and, uh, and and things like this. So, you know, for him to be sitting up on the sixth floor with a rifle and be able to be accurate with it, with it and not be, uh, you know, shaken in, in, by the situation that he's thrust into and then appear so calm so f- quickly after the assassination just doesn't gel or jive with the guy you know, this disheveled, you know, crazy appearing guy who was actually in his office, you know, telling him, you know, desperately that he needed to go back to Russia. So that doesn't jive either. So here we're left with another conundrum. Okay. Do we clear up anything by saying, okay, this was really Oswald in Mexico City? I mean, kind of. You know, this doesn't mean that he wasn't impersonated while in Mexico City. It doesn't mean he wasn't being followed in Mexico City. It doesn't mean the CIA wasn't watching him in Mexico City. Um, it doesn't mean the CIA didn't know what he was up to in Mexico City. You know, all it means is that if this is true, then that guy, our Patsy from Dallas, was in Mexico City, in the Russian embassy, acting very, very desperate. Very, very desperate. Okay, so I don't know where this would have left him as a mindset or, you know, so pissed that he would pick up a gun and murder Kennedy. I don't see that either. So what do we have left here? You know, it's hard to say. But anyway, I just wanted to get that out there as an alternate version because... I think it's important. You know, apparently they didn't want to ruffle any feathers with Oswald when he was in Moscow. You know, eventually they let him stay there to study him, according to Nechipranko. They were watching him. He was surrounded by KGB. Now, was Marina more than she appeared to be? 
anything's possible. You know, her own stepfather said that all she was doing it was interested in meeting foreign men and marrying them and, and going to America. And also from the from the KGB archives that Nechaprenko found, all Oswald was interested in was going to dances. So and and meeting Russian women. So who knows? You know, who knows? Who knows what was really going on? We probably never know. Um but anyway, I just wanted to get that out there, something to talk about. Uh, something for you guys to check up on, check out. Like I said, the book is called Passport to Assassination by Oleg Nechaprenko. I'll put up a link where you can get the book. I guess it's on Amazon, hopefully. Uh, on TLGpodcast.com. Uh, I recommend highly reading the book. There's way more in it than I discussed here today. Uh, you know, I can't get into all the nuts and nooks and crannies of it and all the Soviet intelligence on Oswald and, and, and all that. Uh, there's, like I said, there's way more in the book. Uh, it's a great read and, uh, no reason for it to not be true. I mean, like I said, when he wrote it at this point, Glasnost had happened, you know, the fall of the Soviet Union was apparent, you know, and Gorbachev was coming out as the new leader of Russia. So, you know, the old Russia was dead and dying at this point. You know, there's nothing, you know, and he didn't leave. He's still there. You know, so he wasn't worried about repercussions. He was putting out a what he thought to be a truthful story, and and backing it up with documents that are in the book. So, you know, check it out. There's lots of good stuff in there. There's even a surveillance photo of Marina Oswald, uh, a KGB surveillance photo of her doing what looks to be uh, stuffing something in somebody's pocket. So, <laughs> there's all kinds of cool stuff like that in there. Stuff you've never seen or heard before. So definitely check it out, and uh, you will like it. I promise you that. Um, I guess that's it for the show today. But please, uh, like I said, I got you know seventy shows in the archives. People go back and listen if you get bored uh, or get delayed, like today. Go back and listen to the old ones. You know that's what they're there for. They're they're archived for your pleasure. So please go back and listen to the old ones. Um, and head over to TLGpodcast.com for any relevant. I'll put up some pictures from this book. Um, stuff you've never seen before over on TLGpodcast.com as well. Um, also, head over to TPAC.com, TwoPrincesAndAKing.com. Uh, support Carmine and his efforts over there to bring you uh, primary research and doc- source documents. Uh, when it, when it comes to the uh, assassinations of JFK, RFK, and Martin Luther King, uh, check out my buddy Chuck Ocelli's show, The Ocelli Effect, on ucy.tv backslash toe. Lots of great shows there and in the archives as well and on YouTube. Also, my buddy Doug over at the Dallas Action. You can find him uh, on Spreaker, on Facebook, and on 22NovemberNetwork.wordpress.com. For everything Doug and the Dallas Action. Also, my boy Will on Twitter at JFK Prime Source. Will will be on the show next week. And we're going to be bringing you something real special. So, this guy I've been talking about for a while now, you're going to get to meet him next week uh, live and in person. And we're going to be rolling something out for each and every one of you to enjoy and utilize in your efforts of research that we think will be uh, 
very beneficial to you. And uh, so stay tuned for that next week. Will from JFK Primary Sources will be on the show next week. All right, people. Some bitch is in the can. Beamed up to the satellite. Down directly to your lovely ears. This is your boy, Rob Clark. Out. Peace. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, 
no secret is revealed. High volume, high volume, high volume. Uh. I'm about to body this white track, OJ Simpson. Do these niggas like the old days going lynching? Body anybody, go against the coalition. Teach you anything you wanna know, pay attention. Now it's time to separate the fact from the fiction. Down know the difference for subtracting the distance. Got a lot of homies, but you half of them snitching. Anybody could get it, look at Gabrielle Gifford. Shot her in the head and see a fucking politician. Pass to the dirty, Isabel ain't missing. See it from my way, it's just too much of a suspicion. Felt a lot of tech to test a lot of shit to mention The media just show us what they want, tunnel vision uh-huh. Who you think on CBS, pay attention Attention, uh. Uh. Real shit, man Yeah I better wake up, man Shit right in your face, man Uh Yeah Politicians just crooked, man For conspiracy, if you ask me right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.